The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So do you want to just launch in? Hop right into it? I'm itching to flex these podcast gains. You know, they have creams for that. No, they don't. (laughs) And I don't need them. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And this is Dylan. And this is our fifth episode, which means that if our podcast was a baby in medieval times and episodes were in years, we'd be like 95% of the way to a long and healthy life. That is the most Chris thing you've said in a very long time. (laughs) That was off the dome. I know. (laughs) Um, So how are you, Dylan? What's been up with you this past week? Oh, I'm doing all right. Um, not really a whole lot to talk about. It's it's been pretty chill. Um, the I guess like in terms of video games, I've been uh I've been playing an Ocarina of Time randomizer. Sometimes and... I want to know about the man, not the games. <laughs> well, uh... <laughs> Chris, I, I am really nothing. threw you for a loop with that one. I I am defined by my love for electronic media. I have nothing else. <laughs> I'm, I'm an gamer. empty shell of a man. Oh God, no, stop. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, life's been life's been uh, chill. I think uh, I've I've finally been starting to move stuff. Like, okay, so I actually do have a story. Um, so I've been, I'm I'm in my old I'm in my old room, and you know I sold my old twin beds, um, or I donated them rather, and no more bunk life. No more bunk life. And so we were moving my grandma's old mattress from the basement. And, you know, our it's a queen-size mattress, so we can, like, barely get it up the stairs because, like, it's brushing the ceiling and it's terrible. And so, you know, after, I, like... I what... feel this viscerally. <laughs> <laughs> so after, like, an hour... What seemed like an hour and a half, it was probably closer to, like, 40 minutes, but after an hour and a half... After a week of trying to move this mattress. <laughs> Two fortnights of, of mattressdom. <laughs> of trying to move this mattress up to my room, we finally get it done. And so, you know, we, we kind of say, fuck the bed frames. We'll set that up later. Whatever. Um, and so, you know, I finally lie down on this mattress. And I don't know why, but this memory came rushing back to me of my grandma being very insistent that she have a firm mattress. I think eventually, like, what she meant was, like, I want a Tempur-Pedic mattress or some sort of mattress that conforms to my body, and, like, thus you kind of sink into it. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was the second mattress she got at my place. Uh, the first mattress is literally the equivalent of sleeping on the floor. Oh, no. Like, <laughs> I, I, there must be some give, because, like, I didn't wake up feeling completely stiff, but, <laughs> you know, make I just kind of... I just kind of flopped on the bed, and I'm like, oh. Soft mattress make for soft boy. 
Are you saying I'll become like Final Pam? I think that's what's gonna happen. I think I think you're you're Final Pam bound. Um, all all five of our listeners who know yeah. what the Final Pam is. Yeah, I mean we're probably threading that needle. Um, that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Meanwhile, my prediction of becoming Chance the Rapper has proven false, and instead I am transforming <laughs> into a turkey boy. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I saw the picture. Context for y'all. I my my day job, my survival job right now. I work at a grocery store. Um, I'm in customer service, which is delightful. Um, not only that, I am in customer service in like right on the border between a relatively low key North Shore apart or North Shore Chicago suburb and a very bougie North Shore <laughs> North Shore Chicago <laughs> suburb. Um. And so we get some characters in, especially around things like the holidays when tensions are running high. And either I'm going to be struck dead by a turkey-related panic attack, or I'm just going to get, like, crushed in, a, in an avalanche of cold, dead birds before the end of the holiday season. Like, that is my that is my called shot. This will be the end of me. It's... Okay, so... So you're you're just you're feeling that Thanksgiving pressure, or is there like something specifically that's happening to you, my friend? Well, it's I may or may not be sl- slowly black swanning my way into a <laughs> Natalie Portman turkey. Oh god! Um, but more than that, it's just like I really like like an element of customer service that I genuinely enjoy is I like that my job essentially is to talk to people. Um. That has been challenged as I have gone from just being a cashier to being, you know, the person behind the service desk where, like, when Karen wants to speak to a manager, I'm the person she comes to. That's a little less fun. But, like, I am a social person. I'm an extroverted guy. And so, like, I enjoy the element of this that is working face-to-face with people. But when literally every single person who comes in is dealing with the, like... My in-laws are coming into town, and there's going to be 20 people in my living room, and I don't want to have to cook enough food for 20 people, and I just need you to do this catering thing. But it's everyone. Oh, no. Like, it's a lot, and it's Uh-oh. it's a strain. <laughs> Buddy. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm applying to some positions that are a little bit less intensive in that way uh, at stores closer to my apartment because that'll be like a double-edged sword of my life getting better. But until then, gobble gobble, motherfuckers. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's the uh, that's the current life and times of Chobani Wilson. Let's talk I, about I believe games. in you. Let's talk about games in a context that games are not typically talked about in because that's what our show is. Uh, so, Dylan, what are we talking about this week? Uh, before we get into that, okay, I hit me. Think, I think for the last episode we teased that we were going to be doing a scene by scene analysis of a game. Yes, uh, we did say. Yeah, we did say this episode or next episode, and yeah, we we've been we're gonna keep kicking that can down the road because we really want to do that justice. Yeah, yeah. Um, but before that, uh, you know, there is a beloved video game series from my childhood that I saw a coverage of one of the games in an issue of Nintendo Magazine, and it is a game that, for people my age and younger, is, like, completely obscure. And now it has recently gotten a revival of sorts in a new Netflix series. And, Chris, you have seen this Netflix series for the first time... It's so good. ...a couple days ago, right? Yes, I... 
I sat, I've been, okay, so we're talking about Castlevania. Yeah, I was, um, was going to lead into that, but yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, go watch the Castlevania series on Netflix. Be warned, it's gruesome. There's a lot of animated gore. Um, yeah, but, if you're squeamish, if you don't like violence, like, even for, like, animated violence. Uh, like, it goes hard. There was, yeah, there there was some scenes where, like, I was like, ooh, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but for all that, it is an incredible show. I binged all of season one, which is four episodes in one day, and then the next day binged all of season two, which is eight episodes. <laughs> um, it's real good. And it got me thinking, it got Dylan thinking as well, how did this, you know, anime Netflix original series adaptation of a video game work so well when basically every other video game to film adaptation has been hot dookie. This was the video game adaptation that not only could, but did. And we, I, I like, I kind of want to break that down. Yeah, like, it's, it's interesting to me that not only did someone finally make a good, you know, it's not a film, it's not a movie, it's not feature length, but a good film as media adaptation of a video game but they did it based on castlevania rondo of blood uh, am i no. right uh, no it's castlevania curse. 3 yeah yeah okay um yeah no uh alucard is in Ca- we'll get to that okay. I, we might yeah. get to that we'll we'll break it down more but before we get to what made castlevania good we need to talk about some of the less happy entries in video games flirtation with film yep. uh i went ahead and as i was preparing for this episode i compiled a short list uh, this is not every video game movie, but it's, I felt, a pretty good sampling from sort of throughout the years. And I arranged it from going from least to greatest Rotten Tomatoes aggregate. <laughs> so get ready. Bringing, in, bringing us in to start, we have the Super Mario Brothers movie, 1993. Yep. Rotten Tomatoes aggregate, 17%. Audience response. Audience response, 28%. And that was like one of, I don't think that was the first video game movie, but it was definitely one of the first attempts. Maybe it was the first. Coming in next, just to, show, just to show how far we've come in 13 years. No, sorry, 23 years. Uh, next lowest rated movie I cared to find, Assassin's Creed 2016. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes rating, 17%. Audience response, 43%. So, you know, a few people liked it more, but... Still pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, okay. Street Fighter from... What's up? Sorry. Um, like, I, it wasn't on the list, so I, I took the liberty of looking this up. Um, did you know that Uwe Boll did a House of the Dead movie in 2003? I did not. Well, I'm telling you now. <laughs> Uwe Boll? <laughs> yeah. Were you unaware of this? I was not aware of this movie. Yeah. Uwe Boll did a lot of really terrible video game movies. I think he also did Blood Rain. Didn't he do the... Um, is he the guy behind the Resident Evil ones? No, no, that's uh, that's Paul W.S. Anderson. Thank you, yes. Um, No, Uwe Boll did House of the Dead, which has a 3% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, at that point, I honestly just want to applaud. Like, good on you. <laughs> you cracked it. Um, But yeah, so going down... I'm not, I don't want to read all the things on this list, but like, you know, we've got Street Fighter from 1994, 18%. Um. Mm-hmm. Amusingly, Mortal Kombat from one year later, 38%, so twice as good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the 2001 Tomb Raider film starring uh, Angelina. Angelina Jolie. Yeah. 
We've got at 20% with a 47% audience rating. Uh, the Tomb Raider film from 2018, sitting at a pretty 51%. With an Which audience is rating of 57. comparatively. Yeah, compared to everything else, not half bad. Yeah. Um, I also compiled these by budget, um, and I thought that was kind of illuminating. Uh, my personal favorite mediocre video game movie, Prince of Persia, Sands of Time, 2010, starring Swore the Arabian Man, Jake Gyllenhaal, <laughs> uh, with a staggering $185 million budget. Like, not the biggest budget out there, but respectable coming in at 36% on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> but with a with a respectable 58% from the audience more recently Rampage starring I did not know there was a Rampage movie you did, how did I you miss the list. how did okay, you miss the no, marketing for that no, Dwayne I, the Dwayne Dwayneson was all over that shit I saw I saw the trailers I never made the connection. <laughs> you didn't get Ah uh, yes, how could you miss that they would make a film out of the beloved arcade cabinet game rampage like you think i would catch that but i i didn't like i was i, I don't know man i don't know i mean it's fair it's not like it really matched the tone of the original i've listened to podcasts where they talk about the rampage movie <laughs> and even then it just did not stick in my mind um but rampage was the highest rated on rotten tomatoes at least video game movie i could find as i was scrolling through you know Again, this is not an exhaustive list, but Rampage came in at 52% Rotten Tomatoes uh, critic aggregate and a very respectable 75% audience approval. So, like, not bad. Not, you know, the video game movie we've all been looking for, but not bad. Yeah. And then, from the 52% that Rampage got, the Castlevania Netflix original has a 90% critic aggregate and an 89% audience approval rating. And that but, discrepancy is wild. It's so crazy. Um, I I also want to throw out that the, the first season of Castlevania, it, it actually was written as a movie, but then was recut into four episodes. I was actually so, talking with, uh, with my girlfriend about that before... Mm-hmm. Recordings, I was talking to her before she went to class about, like, what this episode was going to be about. Yeah. And, like, you can kind of tell that the first season was written as a movie like if you yeah. take out the some of the transition pauses that they put in it's four episodes that are like 25 to 30 minutes long that's right about feature length like it it yeah. feels like a film the way that it's structured like especially like the like the fact that the first episode is entirely about dracula and lisa in like with like no real introduction of a protagonist of any sort like it doesn't yeah. really like uh shift perspectives from that like that kind of felt weird and i, I think a lot of people thought that felt kind of weird and like when you Consider the fact that this is supposed to be, like, the, the first, like, three or four scenes in a movie. Um, I think that gives it a lot more context. Yeah. Um, but the other thing about this that I thought was interesting is, uh, like I said, I, I brought up budgets because I kind of wanted to see if there was any kind of correlation there. There's not. Assassin's Creed, with a $125 million budget, got the exact same critic rating as Super Mario Brothers with its $48 million. So, you know. I mean, not like, a ton to do there. I, I don't know how much inflation factors into it. Yeah, but... I, I think I got inflated, like, budgets that accounted for inflation, but I got it all from, like, Google. So didn't yeah. really have a ton of time to go full serial on this. Yeah. But what I found, Netflix does not do a lot of public releases of what individual things, as far as their original series and original films, uh, cost budget-wise. 
But I did find a Forbes article from a few months ago saying that they had increased their total budget for original programming for 2018 to 12 and a half to 13 billion dollars. And that 13 billion dollars was going to go to producing 82 feature films and 700 TV series. Netflix is building an empire. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy and it's also like this is a little aside, but I think it's super cool the way that Netflix is taking this, like, throw the spaghetti at the wall kind of approach to budgeting yeah. films. Because they're going to have super good numbers on what is good and what is not, and then they'll be able to get then give more money and allocate more funds to those people that are making the things that is good. And, like, time will tell how well this works long term, but at the moment I think that's, like, a really cool strategy considering that they kind of have infinite money to be playing with. So, like, yeah. good on them. Yeah. Um, but I did some, like, very basic number crunching, and assuming that all 82 feature films and 700 serials get the same budget, which they're not gonna, but I don't have any better information to go on, I crunched those numbers, and Castlevania, I wrote down 16.5 million, considering that it is now two seasons, let's go ahead and round that, like, double that up to $33 million mm. to make, by a wide margin, at least as far as critic reviews go, the best video game adaptation that has ever been. Compared to the runner-up with a budget four times that high. But Chris, this forget is all this financial shit. What about the games? <laughs> well, I want to talk a little bit about like why these movies are bad before we get into why Castlevania is good, because there's a lot to go into here. Yeah. And I want to, I want to preface it I like a lot of these movies. Like, just, the Street Fighter movie will always be... Oh, my God. Like, have a special place in my heart. Prince the of Street Persia, not amazing, but, like, I kind of like it. Prince of Prince of Persia is a, a fun, brainless swashbuckler flick that also happens to be dressed up like one of my favorite video games of all time, so I give it a lot of pass on, like, the kind of mediocre writing and everything. It is a better... Um, I know Jerry Bruckheimer's the producer, not the director, but it is a Jerry, better Jerry Bruckheimer-produced film than, like, the last three or four Pirates movies. Yeah. Um, similarly, I adore the Mortal Kombat movies. They're objectively bad, but boy, howdy, are they fun. <laughs> I've heard the first one can be enjoyed ironically, but the second one is just, like, garbage. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the first I, one I, you can enjoy ironically... Typically when I'm watching these, I'm playing, like, a drinking game with them, so by the time the second one rolls around, I'm too plastered to give a shit. <laughs> Fair enough. I say this like I do this frequently. The last time I did it was, like, five years ago in college. But yeah. I've been thinking about this, and there's obviously, there's so many things that can go wrong in making a movie. But uh, I think... Street Fighter, sorry, uh, Street Fighter infamously had a lead actor who was, like, in a very bad coke binge. <laughs> Like, and had, like, a lot of addictions and problems during the shooting of that. And then also the main villain was battling cancer. So it's, uh, like, things can go really wrong. Yeah. Like, they had to completely switch up the, uh, the, the shooting schedule for that. Yeah. But as I've been, like, thinking about all of these very middling to not-so-good video game adaptations, I think if there is a thread that connects them it's that I think they try too hard like you you get a room full of people who make movies and who don't really understand 
video games as a medium and how video games work. Right. And they say, okay, we've got The Prince of Persia. What do people like about The Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, the game? Oh, they like the runny, jumpy, climby fun. And they like the relationship between these two characters. Hey, writer's room, make a movie about these two characters coming not to hate each other that also involves a lot of runny, jumpy, climby. (laughs) And they don't take the time to think about, like, well, yes, a big part of, at least for me, the enjoyment of Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, is watching, you know, the prince and Farah come to not hate each other and then further that come into caring about each other. Yeah. With a video game, you've got... I'm trying to think. Sands of Time is what? Like a six, seven hour game? Um, At least on the first playthrough? I I remember it taking me closer to like 10 or 12, but what do I know? It's been so long since I played the first time and like I got to the point where I could do it in like seven or eight. Yeah. But like even so, minimum like seven hours. Yeah. Over which this relationship is developing and now you're trying to cram that arc down into a two hour and change feature film i think it's it's also worth noting that there is a lot of quiet time Mm -hmm. in the prince of persia games where you know it's not even necessarily like the story is being told to you or like being shown to you but you're just kind of living in that world which is a luxury video games have that film doesn't really have yeah when you're when you're trying to cram as much story as you can into two hours, you don't really have the luxury of being like, this five minutes, we'll just watch the prince move about this garden. But then you're trying to cram, you know, this story arc that is what people like down into a quarter of the time that the game had to had to work through it, while also trying to cram as much of the action of that game into that time period as well. And what you end up with is like a very rushed feeling story with a whole lot of for lack of a better term, sort of obligatory-feeling set pieces. Like bombast? Yeah, like... Yeah. You end up with action set pieces for the sake of action set pieces because that's what a video game is. Yeah. Whereas something like... Oh... Um, I guess I'll I'll throw out that, like, Super Mario Bros. is kind of like... You know, I haven't seen this movie in, like, a decade and a half. Oh, same. But... (laughs) But it's kind of like... With the source material, it's it's a question of, like, how do we even begin to tackle this? Because Super Mario's universe is charming, but it, it is such, like, an esoteric product of itself. Yeah, it's it's a very abstract, like, they created a world for the gameplay to occur in. Yeah. There wasn't, like, for the first Super Mario game, nobody was sitting down with, like, all right, let's make our story Bible, gentlemen. Uh, Shigeru Miyamoto's actually famously against putting story in his games. So when you're making a movie of that, it's kind of like, what do we do? And it's like alternate universe of dinosaurs is what we're going to do, I guess. <laughs> oh, man, what a weird <laughs> film. What a weird film. Like, there's so there's like a part of me that kind of respects what they tried. Like, when you look at the sets and like the animatronics and like all the weird stuff they put in that movie, it's kind of like with like, you know, if they took all of these assets and like try to unify it under a vision that wasn't Super Mario Bros. It makes me wonder like what kind of like possible cult classic it yeah. would have turned out to be. It would be like it would have been like the next big trouble in Little China. I, I wouldn't go that far, but like <laughs> <laughs> you know, it would have that similar dream. appeal. Like it would it it would have that appeal. It would have like that you know, that grimy teenage mutant ninja turtles kind of appeal. Yeah. Um but you know, it would also be its own thing, but because it's attached to Mario, 
it will suffer from a trying to make a story for Mario, uh, you know, from moviegoers, and b it will suffer from not being anything like Mario for fans of the series. Yeah, the the way that studios have seemed to think you go about making a video game movie is either an adaptation where you use like the same world but you make up your own story which in theory is not a bad way of going about it it just never seems to work like that's what the resident the first resident evil movie was yeah like, they were in the mansion but like it starred paul ws's anderson's oc mila jovovich yep his, and his, his wife oc his wife oc and it has like this weird scene with like this holographic AI character and like it, it there there are liberties taken in each of these adaptations that don't really seem to either enrich the source material or like make a statement on its own yeah like it's all and it ends up coming to be like all bombast and like then you know rampage the movie that just came out like it's leading up i i i just remember i thought rampage was going to be okay Did and you like see you know it? I th- yeah, I saw it in theaters, but it's been <laughs> You don't remember? That's I mean, there's your problem. Yeah. Like <laughs> Maybe this is mean. No, like there uh, You have you ever had that? I also had that with um the oh, who is the director? The Godzilla movie from like 20 Dude, I cannot tell you who directed that. It was not good. Mm-hmm. I walked out of there and I had genuinely like leaving the theater. I could remember two moments, one of which was kind of cool, but very fan servicey, and the other of which was so strikingly stupid that it has burned into my mind to this day, in which <laughs> your, your main character, brave American serviceman, looks down a ruined corridor of city destruction at the giant kaiju lizard, and they both sort of go... Sup, and then go along with their days. No, <laughs> I'm not making this up. This movie is bad. Oh man, <laughs> but like, like that, and like one of the X Men movies recently did this for me too. Like where I I saw it and I was like, that was fun, and then I walked out of the theater and was like, what did I just spend two hours doing? Um, <laughs> which like there are worse things for a movie to be than fun and forgettable, but like yeah, like that's what I thought. Like I thought Rampage might have something because you know The Rock's a great actor. Like, mm-hmm. straight up, don't at me. Dwayne The Rock Johnson is an incredibly talented actor and has been since he was a wrestler. Um, <laughs> I mean, wrestling is, or professional wrestling, rather, is, like, performance of its yeah, own. Yeah, it's, so. it's weird soap opera with body slams. Uh, yeah. Which is fucking rad. Um, but, like, Dwayne Johnson's great. It seemed like they had a kind of a cool formula going where it was like, all right, we're going to build up the tension of, like, why this monkey matters, and then the ending set piece will be the arcade game Rampage where, like, everyone thinks tearing up the city, except the monkey's a good guy now. And then it was just, like, (laughs) it's just forgettable. Like, nothing... So I'm going to go on a quick digression or a diversion. Yeah. Uh, So the Rampage movie, was it just the one monster? No, because there's the giant... There's, I just wanted to make sure. The gorilla who, you know, they're injecting full of some kind of, mat, like, Bane juice. <laughs> and so he's getting bigger and bigger. But then you find out they've also been doing that to a wolf that for some reason gets, like, bat wings. Yeah, it's like, like Ralph, in, Liz, and something else. Well, I yeah, I mean, the, it's, it's Ralph, 
Ralph, Lizzie, and um, Joe, I think, was the monkey's name. Okay. I think. But, like, yeah, so you've got the monkey who's Dwayne, Dwayne, the, Dwayne Roxon's best friend. And then there's also, like, Lizzie, who they make into, like, a giant, like, Jurassic Park crocodile, essentially. And then the wolf, who they turn into Rouge the Bat for some reason. And, like, there's very shaky justification for why they did that to these creatures too and then why these creatures are loose and then they fight a whole bunch and like it's I'm having trouble remembering this movie as I'm talking about it like (laughs) it's Uh, not it's not even that it's bad it's just that it's very forgettable that's that was me when I was trying to recall to Brennan the the plot of Rogue One (laughs) yep 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 um (laughs) And now that we've lost half of our listenership... Oh, uh, yeah, no, they hate <laughs> us now. Um, Guys, if you like it, that's fine. Like, I, I didn't hate it. I just don't yeah. remember a lot of it. I think that now is not a bad transition to go into Castlevania. And Castlevania being very, very good. And yes. I think one of the things that I think is so interesting about the Castlevania Netflix series... and. I think let's agree, we'll try not to go into any spoiler territory. Like, yeah. if we um, come up against something where we need to spoil stuff, we'll give a warning. Um, okay. I'm going to I'm gonna say, let's let's say that spoilers for Season 1 are fair game. Yeah, um, Season 1's been out for a year. It's been out for a year. Also, I feel like it'll be hard to talk about any of the good things that happened in Season 2 without talking about the ending of Season 1. Yeah, but what I think is so cool is, you know, this concept that we've been talking about is, like, they take the world and splice a story onto it that's kind of all that this castlevania does and like i'm not as familiar with the specifics of the story from castlevania 3 yeah, as so you are so I'll, like i'll break that down for our listeners who are not familiar with castlevania be it the netflix series or the video game series uh castlevania is a series about a family of vampire hunters who every generation or every 100 years or whatever uh they have to go and take down dracula who's terrorizing the world and so the netflix series is based on the third entry castlevania 3 for the nes um the basic plot of the netflix series is that dracula's uh dracula falls in love with a human woman who wants to study medicine uh she is burned at the stake for for witchcraft Dracula is pissed when he finds out about this and then basically declares genocide on all humankind and summons an army of all sorts of evils to take them down. Yeah. Uh, Also, very cool thing that they do, uh, they play up Dracula as, like, a polymath, where, like, because he's been around for forever, he's this repository of, like, scientific knowledge that humans don't have anymore because of things like the Dark Age and such. And so his human wife is using all of the scientific knowledge, which is then why she is found. And they're like, Thin glass, you must be a witch woman. Burning time. <laughs> um, I guess, how much of that is in Castlevania Three? Okay. How much, so, how much do they give Dracula in the game? So the, uh, really quick, the main uh the main vampire hunting family i mentioned earlier they are referred to as the belmonts and the main character of castlevania 3 is trevor belmont um without the way uh so here's here's like some uh similarities and differences uh they do establish um because they have like a little text crawl before you press start in the original game 
they establish that Dracula is terrorizing the countryside. I believe they mention that it's because of the death of his wife. Um, if he doesn't mention it when you meet Alucard in the game, he probably says something about it. Or at some point in one of the games, they do mention that that is his explicit reason for doing what he's doing in Castlevania Three. And so, I guess I guess like the the big thing is like yes, Lisa canonically in the games was burned at the stake for being a witch. Uh, if they don't mention that in the original uh, Castlevania Three, they definitely mention it in Symphony of the Night. Uh, also, the Belmonts were exiled for their powers, like their vampire hunting prowess uh, was seen as dangerous. Um, and so I believe, because it's been a year since I've seen season one, but I believe, um, like in that series, uh, the church does commission Trevor to take down Dracula. Unlike uh, Castle, unlike the Netflix series, Trevor is like a-okay with this. He, uh, you know, he, he says his prayers in front of this giant-ass cross and then goes about his journey. And you know, that's, the, the church that's doesn't how the game commission Trevor in season one. Trevor runs afoul of the church because he sees a couple of priests about to beat some dude to death, and he steps in and kicks the shit out of them. Okay, I couldn't remember if they were like, "You're a Belmont. We hate you, but we really want you to take care of this pest for us." Uh, but that's not how it happens. There's an interaction between him and the bishop where the bishop's essentially like, "Okay, you're in my city." I don't want you here. I okay. got this shit. Okay. You get the fuck out, or we kill you. Okay. And we're also so, going to go kill this group of nomadic wizard people that we hate, because it, this is all their fault, not ours. We're perfect. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's... Yeah, it's it's a very confrontational relationship between okay. Trevor and the church. Yeah, so in Castlevania Three, I believe, if it's not the church, it is, um, like, some... Like, essentially, like, the people want the Belmonts to come back, and Trevor doesn't have an issue with this. Uh, he prays and then goes on his journey. And uh, Castlevania Three, the, the game flow and the story of Castlevania Three, is really cool for an NES game. Um, each level is kind of like you getting closer to the castle. Um, so it starts out in this village, and then you're, uh, you have the choice of going... There's also branching paths, but... Um, Rad. You have the choice of going into the castle's clock tower, but uh, once you beat the clock tower stage, uh, the cast the bridge to the rest of the castle actually crumbles, so you have to go back down the clock tower. So cool. Uh, there's there's the a lot of really Castlevania games cool... have always done super cool stuff with level design. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, uh, it, it's basically, it's it's a journey to the castle, and then once you get to the castle. Um, the branching pathways stop, but it's it's basically you are playing to the end of that uh, castle and like fighting Dracula and all that. Uh, Trevor kind of meets his allies along the way. Um, just like in the show, he he kills a Cyclops to rescue Sypha. Um, you know, later he runs into Alucard, fights him in a boss fight. Uh, they eventually decide to team up, and then that's basically all the story there is in the NES game. It's it's just like, you read the manual, you know that the Belmonts were exiled, they're not anymore, and they got to take down Dracula, who's grieving the loss of his wife. And then the rest of the game is like, hey, you may or may not meet these allies who join you, and then you take Dracula down. Um, so, so in a lot of ways, the, the first season of Castlevania kind of takes the instruction manual and takes like the two basic plot points that happen in the first game and like incorporates it into a story about 
fear-mongering and corruption in the church and all these other lovely, lovely subjects. Yeah, like, that's that's the thing about this show that I love so much is they take... For one thing, they take the world, and the world of Castlevania yeah. has always been fantastic. It's just this big pastiche of, it's one of my gothic favorites. horror elements. And so you've got this huge well of, like... Not just are you drawing from the game, but you're drawing from a game that it is itself drawing so much from, like, pre-established culture. And, like, that mix of, like, history and old monster movies. And creating this, like, very vivid, like, you feel like you're in buttfuck nowhere Eastern Europe. And <laughs> the way that the show is animated and the way that the show is, like, scored and all of the different design decisions they make really bring this world of... Wallachia, this fictional Eastern European country, to life. But then they really don't worry, and this is the thing that I think is so good, they don't worry about, like, this is what people expect the Castle the Castlevania game to be. Yeah. Like, they take the tone, and they take the characters, and they take the set dressing of the world, and then they build a coherent story out of that. I would argue even then they don't completely take the tone. Um, Castlevania, at least Castlevania on the NES and for most of its lifespan, was kind of a, a love letter to universal horror films, which means yeah. that like in Dracula's castle, you would get Egyptian money, mummies and Medusas and, you know, yeah. all these different, uh, like they're monsters, but they're not necessarily fitting to Dracula's castle specifically. Yeah. Um, it, it's a mon- It's a literal monster mash. <laughs> and uh, I, I think what the show did, and, you know, some might gripe about this, but it, it's honestly a smart decision for the tone of the show. They they took all of the, you know, po- ill-fitting elements of the Castlevania games, and they, they kind of replaced them with generic demons. But I think that better serves the story they're trying to tell. They also amp up the, the enemy variety in Season 2 in interesting ways. And, like, they're still, like, generic sort of bestial demons, but you get some different types and some different monster kinds. And, like... I recognized a boss fight from Symphony of the Night. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then you also... They take the plot points and then figure out how to structure a story around them and how to structure, like, character arcs around them like Trevor in season one has a really really good character arc he starts out the first time you see him he's just like drinking his issues away in a bar yeah because that's where his life is and he's just sort of like begrudgingly going about trying to like scrape together enough food to stay alive and even when he runs into like the people that need help he's like oh fuck I have to help this idiot again (laughs) and it's only after he's basically like shamed into helping that he takes up the mantle and like is what he needs to be and has you know his recognition reversal and it's really good and I think that's what kind of sets Castlevania apart as a series is they it was clearly written by people who had a story they wanted to tell yeah and knew how to structure it so that it landed and like all of the characters have really tight arcs Dracula's arc is amazing, but I don't want to go into the details of why it is because major spoilers for the end of season two. I was, like, very moved by a lot of the resolutions that happened at the end of season two because they very neatly tie up a lot of what's going on while also leaving it open enough that the story, like the world doesn't feel like, and now everything's perfect because that's not at all the kind of story they're telling. Yeah, I feel like if you are a fan of Dracula... 
um, even if you're not necessarily, if you know nothing about Castlevania, check out the Netflix series because, like, they do some pretty cool things with the Dracula character and the Dracula mythos, I guess. Yeah, it's very, very good. Um, also have to say, kind of what I was going to, like, they don't focus so much on, like, this is what the Castlevania series is like, and so this is what we have to make the movie like. They feel free to make the show feel like what you would imagine Castlevania to be. Like, this show has some of the best fight animation that I have ever seen. Like, right up there the, with the something. The storyboarding is very tight. <laughs> the storyboarding is super good. The way that they make everything feel so fluid and, like, mm -hmm. make all of these superhuman fighters on both sides feel so powerful. Yeah. Like, it's up there alongside, like, Avatar The Last Airbender as far yeah. as, like, some of the best animated fight choreography I have ever seen. End of season one culminates in Alucard and Trevor Belmont fighting because they haven't decided to work together yet. And that fight scene, you see them both use their power sets and introduce their power sets, for lack of a better word, in such, like, elegant ways. You see... You know, Trevor using his whip in very creative ways, which sets him up to then be very skilled with that later on when he's needing to find out new ways to do it. You see Alucard, you know, using these vampire powers, some of which don't come up again until the final fight against Dracula. It's so tight and it's so good and it's so creative in the way that they put these fight scenes together. And they manage to keep them feeling very consistent and feeling very grounded, which is very hard to do even in live action yeah, fight choreography and like fight filming it's very easy for things to become floaty and for like the sense of geography to get lost and they don't and it's animation and that's awesome <laughs> for those of you who don't know I'm a big fight choreography nerd yeah oh yeah <laughs> uh, I, I think the thing that really sells or really sold this to me is that they, they take what is for me like the most important thing about Castlevania as a story or as like a piece of narrative in an interactive medium and they take its mythos and they apply that mythos to a story they want to tell. And like you said earlier, it's not like, oh, we have to incorporate all these different elements. They, they cut a character from Castlevania 3. There's Tre Trevor actually is supposed to have three companions and they cut one because I think Warren Ellis thought he was kind of stupid, which I, I have very strong opinions about because he's my favorite, but whatever. Yeah, no, I, I think... You know, you look at something like Street Fighter and like the thing is like, all right, how do we create like how do we creatively incorporate every single Street Fighter character into this movie? Like when they don't exactly know how to. And I guess the best way to to explain this is like if, if you are to make a adaptation of a fighting game, for example, and like the requirement is we have to include all the characters there's usually like a minimum of eight characters in a given fighting game. You know, you're going to get a lot of bloat. It's going to be like Avengers Infinity War, but without all the buildup those characters have. Yep. Uh, take, t for a moment, come with me on this journey and imagine that Avengers Infinity War was came the first out one. and it was like a standalone movie with none of, like, that movie would be indecipherable. Mm -mm. <laughs> you would have no idea what was going on at all. That's not to say it's a bad movie, but like like you're saying, it can afford that because it's had all this buildup. Yeah. Doing something uh, like that with something like Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat is why those, like, that's why those movies, or one of the reasons that those movies is like, eh? <laughs> Yeah. 
uh, audiences were baffled <laughs> and yeah. upset. It, there is a there is a focus on characters over bombast. Um, I don't want to talk about season two too much, but all I'm going to say about it is that like there was a lot of focus on characters to the point where like you know as a fan of the series and probably despite my better judgment, I was kind of like. I want to see. I want to see them whipping Frankenstein's, please. <laughs> uh, but like you know, at the same time, like there's. I I don't want to compare it to Game of Thrones, a because I haven't seen a lot of Game of Thrones, but there there's just a lot of like plot and side stories and kind yeah. of like. It honestly put me in mind at times of Samurai Jack, which is another of my favorite animated series. Okay. Yeah. Like Samurai Jack had this confidence in itself where it was willing to, like, as a kid's cartoon, ostensibly, have entire episodes that were basically just Jack, like, walking through various surreal landscapes with almost no action. And there are some episodes of this show that have that same confidence where they're like, we'll have one action set piece, like, right at the very end, but the 20 minutes leading up to that are gonna be character development but it paces itself so well that you don't really mind and that's like a very tricky thing to nail and they really did one other thing i want to bring up before we can sort of move on from castlevania i there is an article published by kotaku where one of their writers sat down with adi Adi shankar i'm probably butchering his name but yeah uh adi shankar who is the the showrunner for castlevania on netflix and one of the questions they asked that I thought was super cool, they ask, do you wish Castlevania's second season had more episodes? And he just says, no. Mm. And they're like, why? And he's like, well, we plan it out. Like, the whole team, I'm going to just read this response. We plan this out, and I mean the whole team, me, Warren, everyone, and we have these specific stories that we want to tell. When season three comes out, you'll realize, oh, they were setting things up that I didn't realize were setups, little throwaway lines of dialogue or characters in the background. you realize a lot of that is intentional. And I think that, like... On the one hand, the setup stuff is really smart, but I just really like that we have specific stories that we want to tell because yeah. that's what makes good media, not just TV. But like, I think that the diff, the big difference, if there's one big thing that sets Castlevania apart, is they didn't set out to say like we want to make a video game adaptation just because. They said, okay, we have stories that we want to tell in this world. Yeah, and like that counts for a lot. Yeah, You can get away with a lot if you're telling a compelling story. That's all I have on Castlevania, but before we end, do we want to talk about the Detective Pikachu trailer? Uh, there are three upcoming video there... game movies, and, you know, one of we them s- we've seen. Yeah, we set, our, we... <laughs> we set our piece on Sonic. We, we can leave Sonic aside. I think. Oh, there are four video game movies coming out. <laughs> <laughs> What's the fourth? I know. We'll get there. Um, okay. So, so there is there is Detective Pikachu. We'll get to that one. Uh, there is uh, Monster Hunter. We'll get to that. Uh, we talked about Sonic, and then the fourth movie is the upcoming, still in production, I believe, Metal Gear Solid movie. I didn't know that about is being that directed, either. Yes, it is being directed by the director of uh, Kong Skull Island, I think. Um, and I am actually cautiously optimistic for it. Because if nothing else, like, the the guy has proven that, like, he is a fan of Metal Gear. Um, He he actually did, like, a a promotional video for, like, the the 30th anniversary, I think, or something like that of the series. And he he hired a lot of the old voice actors to, like, kind of, like, do a little spiel 
And like I don't know if I don't know if that's going to make it a good movie. But like if it's made by a fan and at least tickles my inner fan, that sounds very dirty. But <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> um mm, Dylan, oh glad I could God. show up to uh tickle your inner fan. This is like one of my Japanese animes. I'm right here. People who have never played people who have it's never me. played Metal Gear Solid are so Solid confused Snake. right now. <laughs> here to talk to my best buddy. Dylan. <laughs> oh, Snake! Kiefer Sutherland is my name. Uh, anyway. <laughs> that was disgusting. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, we're deleting that. <laughs> <laughs> you might be. But who edits these episodes? <laughs> um, oh, no. Okay, real talk, though. Mm-hmm. There is now a trailer for the Detective Pikachu movie starring Ryan Gosling as Pikachu. Ryan Gosling? Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. One of the Ryans. I always confuse them. Ryan Deadpool. I'm actually kind of into it. I I remember I was talking to a friend, and and she, like, she had only seen screenshots of it, and, like, when you look at those Pokemon in, like, a still photo, they look, uh, like, a lot grosser than they do in motion. Oh, it's very Uh, true. But, you know, I was kind of trying to downplay the fact that I was actually kind of into it. Like, like I was like, I was like, yeah, it kind of looks like they're going for like this weird Howard the Duck, like garbage pail kids. <laughs> that's aesthetic. a very accurate aesthetic. And descriptor. as I was saying that, I'm like, and I'm super into that, but I don't want you to know. <laughs> like, here's the thing: it's hard to tell what this movie's really gonna be like. We have one yeah. trailer. Yeah. But like I said about Castlevania, it seems like they're like, we have a world we want to tell a story in, and we have a story we want to tell. And I'm willing to go along with them on this journey. I'm not sitting here saying, I think Detective Pikachu is going to be great. Yeah. But I I am curious to see what Detective Pikachu ends up being. Yeah. I'm I'm not completely sold, but, like, I I laughed during the trailer. Yeah. The the trailer got me much more hype for it than I had been before. Mm. Like, I'm I'm still... I'm sorry. Sorry, I was just going to say, I feel like with a movie called Detective Pikachu, you're kind of wa- going to want, like, an almost, like, that kind of grimy, like, I don't want to say so bad it's good, but, like, completely self-referential, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, like, it, it makes me think, not quite Who Framed Roger Rabbit or anything, but, like, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I want it to be, like... Looney Tunes back in action. No, no, definitely not. Um, I, I want it to be kind of like the the live action '90s Ninja Turtles movies, yeah, which aren't good movies, but like but if you're fun. a Ninja Turtles fan, they are fun movies. Yeah, and then the other one, the other elephant in the room, is the Monster Hunter movie. Yeah, which made by our good, good Resident Evil boy, and it seems All to be W's. taking the the Monster Hunter games are set in this world full of, like, dinosaurs and kaiju and, like, saber-toothed tigers. And the whole premise of this game is, like, you're some dude and you go out and you fight, you know, a smallish monster and out of its gear, out of its body, you make better gear so you can go out and fight bigger monsters. And it's this very, like, fantastical kind of otherworldly aesthetic that they yeah. have going. Like, the, you you would actually have a lot of freedom with those games because they don't really have a story at least not to my knowledge, they don't really have a story to them. It's just, you are a monster hunter. These are the monsters. Take them down. Yeah. And the first production photos we have feature three people in army fatigues by a Humvee <laughs> So in the desert. Like, 
we we kind of knew about this and i'm before, so though. tired <laughs> <laughs> we knew about this before the it hurts the, us we knew about it before the the production photos came out but the premise of the monster hunter film coming out is that the monsters are coming to our world and people have to do something about it and mila jovovich is going to learn how to wield the monster hunter weapons to take care of this new threat if i and wanted it's... to watch that movie i'd go watch pacific rim <laughs> it's just it's it's kind of like you know i i wonder cuz i remember it might have been a lindsay ellis video it, or it might not have been but like there's something about like how the transformers movies are actually paid in part by the military as like a sort of propaganda scheme and i wonder if that's like how this monster hunter film even got off the ground it might be um it probably is but even then i can also be like you know what's cheaper than like creating weapons and costumes that resemble monster hunter armor just putting them in army fatigues and shooting in the real world yeah and it's 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 just like what's the point yeah like it was a roller coaster of an evening for me because Dylan was like, yeah, they're making a Monster Hunter movie. And I was like, <gasps> and then he was like, yeah, here's the production photos. And I was like, oh, you're making me sound way too chipper. I was just as deflated. as I you. mean, it was all via text, so I, I did not have any idea of your tone. Right, right. But um, yeah, I'm willing to see it. I'm willing to see what they do with it. The I'm Monster not Hunter hopeful. movie? No, fuck that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. You're not getting my money. Are you crazy? <laughs> Well, we'll hold out for Detective Pikachu and Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, um, like like I was about to say about Metal Gear Solid, like, the guy's a fan, which, like, can be good or could be bad. It depends on, like, how he treats the material. Um, but I'm excited for that, if only because, like, I feel like no matter what, it's not just going to be a cheap cash-in. Yeah. At least on, like, the creative side. Yeah. So, we'll find out. We'll find out. Yeah. Detective Pikachu has me hopefully optimistic. Sonic the Hedgehog is going to be a train wreck, but I'm going to see it. It's it's going to um, be a trip. Let's and... let's leave it there. Maybe maybe who knows? Maybe it'll be Detective Pikachu too. But like knowing Sonic's track record in video games and out, it maybe not. Good. It ain't go- it it, it going to be weird. Um, but yeah, go check out Castlevania on Netflix. It's super. When's fun. live action um, the bat? <laughs> Thank you all for listening to Backstage Game. <laughs> <laughs> uh it really means a lot to us that you've been listening uh and it's been very cool since we launched seeing people responding uh so far it's been friends but also like some fellow podcasters have reached out to us it's been very cool seeing this thing kind of get off the ground so thank you thank you thank you for listening please share us around uh share us on social media share us on facebook uh go up to your best friend and play them our episode involuntarily <laughs> go to your local best friend hook us up to a microphone and play us out your window as you drive down the street um but seriously like the best way for us to grow is for people to listen to us and like us and tell people about us so we hope that you will and we hope that uh you have been enjoying what we've been doing uh, thank you for listening to our show. Uh, you can listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. Um, and if you do, please share, drop a review or a rating. It really helps us. Yeah, uh, iTunes reviews in particular will really help us like move up the podcasting charts and like just get us a little bit more reach because algorithms are cool. Um, 
You can also please feel free to reach out to us at our website, bsgpod.com. That's bsgpod.com. Uh, there's a contact us page. There's our episodes are all there and available for download. If you want to get us straight from the source, we've got bios up uh, and some credits for the people who helped us with the show. Who we were going to talk about later. Um, and I'm also I've been thinking I am going to do this. I can't promise exactly when it will happen because it's going to be a project. But I am planning on putting up uh, transcripts of the episodes as well because good accessibility call. is always a good thing. And I want people who maybe can't do so well with auditory things to still be able to enjoy our show. So be on the lookout. You know, who knows? Maybe that'll be ready by the time this episode launches, but somehow I doubt it because that's going to be a little bit of a process until I can you figure know, out a good way to, to do it. if you want me to, I can, I can work on transcribing them. Yeah, we can, we can split yeah. that duty. But okay. be on the lookout for that because I want everyone to be able to enjoy our stuff even if headphones slash audio mediums don't particularly work for you. Um, if you want to hit us up on social media, we got Facebook, we got Twitter. Uh, our Twitter handle is at bsg underscore cast uh we also got youtube uh you can probably just look us up on youtube i don't think that'll be too big of an issue um and if you like our stuff and want to uh post about us uh please use the hashtag bsg pod because that is the hashtag we want to get trending also big thank you to a couple people without whom our podcast would not be nearly so professional looking or sounding first up our friend brennan french uh who is a very talented artist he did our logo banner thing uh, and you can find him at his website, which is brennanfrench.squarespace.com. That's B-R-E-N-N-E-N hyphen F-R-E-N-C-H dot squarespace.com. Thank you, Brennan. Um, music was done by Chris's college friend. I, I knew him. I never really talked to him, though. BioQuery. <laughs> uh, that's B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. Um, sorry, this is a lot. Uh, yeah. He <laughs> did our theme song which is a dot sound radio volume one instrumentality uh if you like our theme song and you know want to hear more stuff like that you should check out his soundcloud uh soundcloud.com slash bioquery i don't really have anything else i want to plug this week uh go check out the other podcast dylan and i were on if you like audio dramas it's magical history of knox county you can find us on itunes or at magicalhistorypodcast.com and yeah, thank you to everyone who has been listening to us. It really means the world to us that people are enjoying the show, um, and it's been very cool hearing from all of you. So feel free to reach out and tell us what you like. Give us critique if there's things you think we could be doing better. Uh, Dylan, anything else you want to add? Your words give us power. <laughs> <laughs> Fuel us with your strength. My friends are my power. <laughs> anyway, this has been Backstage Gaming. I'm Chris. I'm Dylan. And thank you all so much for listening. <laughs> Kingdom Hearts episode win. I was about to say Kingdom Hearts is light. <laughs>